Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. So hi, James. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, James is going to be talking to us about an antidepressant injury. From what I've gathered so far, the really interesting thing about this, and there's probably more, is that it had quite serious uh, visual impairments that that went along with it, which is Mm -hmm. on the more unusual side of what I've seen with protracted withdrawal injuries. Um, And uh, James, I'm just delighted that you're willing to come on and share your story. I always think it's it's cool to start from the beginning. So tell me, like, how did all of this happen? How did you end up on the meds? You know, how, how did you decide to come off? Like, just walk us through it. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks. Um, yeah, I was, um, uh, it was the beginning of the pandemic. I was uh, already coming out of a stressful time uh, and I couldn't sleep. It was that simple. Just couldn't sleep and mm-hmm. uh, needed something to, to help with sleep. And so... Uh, the, uh, the the doctor um, the doctor said try these couple meds um, it was a pair tricycline and trazodone and um, and see if that helps and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, so I was isolated um, for a number of of weeks following a very stressful time and. Uh, and when you say stressful time, I know yeah. you have a stressful job. I know you're a professor, like a business professor, and I imagine that's, was it work-related? Was it relational? Were there like a lot of different things going on? Um, it was It was relationship. It was re- uh, related to the relationship, and uh, mm-hmm. I had also needed to, um, to I was finishing a, a, my PhD, uh, undertaking a PhD, and uh, oh my God. had to, okay. yeah. <laughs> had to travel yeah. for those things. And I, you know, and, and I... Um, I only had one place to hang out, and that was my cottage two hours north of, of the city that I live in, which is Winnipeg, Canada. And uh, so I found myself uh, in the middle of nowhere, uh, lockdown, uh, nobody coming, nobody's allowed to go, you know, to come to me. Nobody wanted me to be in their presence. And I had lots of friends, but, you know, at that point we thought it was Ebola or something. Sure. So, you know, just no, just no luck, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I turned to turned to these drugs. To, to I figured, well, I'll just anesthetize myself until I can get out of this mess. Well, so, catch me up on that because I always think it <laughs> was this the first time you'd taken psychiatric meds. It was, yeah. And so, okay, so wow, all right. Yeah. And how old were you when 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 you got on them? Well, uh, three three a little more than three years ago. So I was like thirty seven, I guess. 37 okay so you went 37 years without anything and then Mm -hmm. i'm always curious about how i guess it was discussed um you know when you got on them so maybe the first question did you see a psychiatrist or a family medicine um uh physician it was a um i think it was a family medicine physician yeah yeah, that's what it would have been. So w- just walk us through like briefly what the interaction was like. How long was the meeting? What did they tell you about? I, I You know, there's two things. You could talk about oh, risks and benefits of the drug, but there's also like a whole philosophy behind taking a medication and how it might change. You could, And you might say they just said nothing. They said just take it. But if they said more than that, then please just yeah walk us through what it was like uh, for you. Yeah, um, I... Um like I was pretty, I, I was distressed by this lack of sleep because I'd always been a really good sleeper. Um, mm-hmm. And so I felt like something must really be wrong. What do I do? I don't have the social resources I need. And in hindsight, that's really all I needed. Um, but um, the conversation went something like, actually, I can kind of remember exactly the words they used. They said, oh, we have something that would work for you. These are very safe things. You know, um, they're prescribed to people young and old, and because I was very hesitant to use any kind of medication, like I wouldn't even use a pain medication if I didn't need to, uh, I'd try to just muddle through, like to a detriment, you know? And so I figured, Mm -hmm. well, I'm really, I'm really struggling now, so I might as well just give this a try. They say it's safe. It's, you know, I, 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 um, you know, I I get in my own way with respect to these, these kinds of uh, solutions often. So I best just listen to them this time and give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, and I, I can always, you know, get off or, or try something else. And let, let me ask you this, because something else that, like I've noticed just over my lifetime from back, 
probably as soon as I could remember TV and media and things like that. We, we didn't used to talk a lot about depression, at least on TV and media. You know, I don't remember hearing celebrities talking about their depression back in the mid 2000s, early 2000s. And then all of a sudden, I think kind of late 2000s. And then, in, you know, ever since then, we've been hearing more and more about depression and fighting the stigma of depression and taking medications. Do you feel like that sort of, you know, the, the ubiquity of taking antidepressants in a way almost makes it seem safer so that when you go in there and, and a doctor's like, hey, they're pretty safe, you're like, well, shit, I know like so many people on TV that are doing it. I probably have co-workers and friends and maybe even family members that take it. Do you think that kind of lowers the guard that people have, you know, when initiating a medication like this, just how pervasive it is everywhere? Yeah, it seems very normalized. I don't, you know, at this stage, I think I'd, I mean, I'd probably be, be hard pressed to find someone who isn't <laughs> on something either yeah. for sleep or for some symptom or whatever. Uh, and so it was very much normalized. Um, it, it is very much normalized. Um, and it was certainly normalized in the conversation I had. And I wasn't even sure I was depressed. I was just, <laughs> just had insomnia that I would, and I was desperate to get to sleep, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. so, um, so it, I guess yeah. my other question for you, and this is, this is more of a soapbox issue just for me, you know, mm -hmm. and, and maybe not relevant to everyone else, but I, um, I, I, I stopped drinking caffeine and I had like just a huge improvement in my mood and my sleep. Mm -hmm. When you remember that time when you were isolated and you were doing your PhD, mm -hmm. was this, you know, were you drinking a lot of coffee? Was there a lot of like, I don't know if there was any like nicotine use going on as well, just different things like that. Um, there was one to two cups of coffee and coffee in the morning. Um, and, uh, I didn't drink like a lot of it, but you know, a little bit's enough for me. I'm very sensitive to <laughs> any drugs I discovered the hard way. Um, but, uh, I also, I also would have like a glass of wine, more than a glass of wine in the evenings at that time, because like, you know, I was like, well, I need an upper in the morning and downer in the evening. And you know, yeah. that probably interacted, probably messed up my sleep to some degree because I didn't do that very often before either. So I know I'm like a crazy person when I talk about this stuff because it has such a massive impact on me. And I think mm. people can't believe it. I got my wife to stop drinking coffee, oh. but it didn't have a huge impact on her like it did for me. So mm. I think it's like this this random thing. But yeah. I, I stopped drinking it and I essentially I slept like a teenager. <laughs> it was it was just insane what 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 had happened mm. um and it, it really drove me into the ground because mm. i was also just starting new jobs when i started drinking really heavily oh. and it was and it got out of control quickly mm. where it was like you know big cup of coffee in the morning sodas throughout the day you know yeah. just anything to keep me going and, yeah and so yeah but okay so that's interesting so um so you went in there for sleep, but they actually wanted to give you citalopram, right? Was that the drug that you mentioned? The first one was, was trazodone. It? Actually, the first one they recommended was sertraline. Uh, sertraline and then okay. I said, but I don't know, but I'm looking for something for sleep. Is that for sleep? And they're like, well, we'll add this. And then they added trazodone. They said that we can pair these together. They both work really well. Um, so, and it's in, in hindsight, and after having learned a lot about these drugs, I have no idea why sertraline was the first thing they gave me. Because I, as I said, like I wanted to sleep, <laughs> you know. Um, I, so I get trazodone, but, um, but it, uh, in hindsight, like I really didn't need the double whammy, like there's no way. Um, and, uh, and so, and what was all also very interesting, like very shortly after that, I realized that sertraline gave me this wired feeling that I didn't seem to need. Um, like it was, it was sort of inflaming the problem I was trying to, <laughs> to deal with. Uh, but trazodone would knock me out for like days, you know, like it would just, you know, even just a, a small dose. I was, I was very groggy, you know, the following day. Um, so then I would get off of, like, I got on sertraline. They said, well, stay on it. Cause that's of course what you say when you get on antidepressant, like stay on it for like six weeks or something. And I was like, nope, still wiring me up. Don't need it. And, you know, got off of it, stayed on trazodone. Uh, and, um, and anyway, so that was the beginning of this, like, like, it's a cycle of like trial and error for years. Okay. All right. So you're off the Zoloft. You're just taking the trazodone. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's working and it's, but it's making you feel hungover in the morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So walk us forward from there. Like what, what further interactions did you have with the mental health care system um, up, up until when you, I guess, eventually discontinued and had your problems? Well, um, 
I kept saying to folks that like I would this I I seem to be wired. They could say like give it time, give it time, give it time. Um, I gave it time. I got off, and then I still didn't quite feel like something. It I don't know what it did, but it but I just didn't feel good. You know, in the weeks afterward, and they're like, well, that's probably withdrawal. You should go back on because that's also what they say. It's like go back on. Maybe you need to be on forever. I was like, mm, like it sure feels. Wait, this Zoloft? Or... Yeah, Zoloft, and if not that one, try a different one. So I, I got off of Zoloft and then got back on it because they said, like, you know, that's. I think that's a. How long were you on the Zoloft for? Was it uh, a couple of months? A couple, like a couple just months. A couple okay. months. Yeah. And I again yeah. felt wired, and it was like this is doing the opposite of what I need. I need to get off this thing. Yeah. And like, no, give it more time. So get back on it. And I was like, nope, mm-hmm. still, still doing the same damn I don't thing. Like this yeah. uh, then they're like, well, then try this other one. So then I tried, found the vaccine, worse, uh, and uh, escitalopram. By the time I got to escitalopram, I just like I could hardly even put it in my body because I was so like, this seems wrong. Like I don't want, I don't want to do this. But I was still on trazodone. So this was like, you know, pandemic starts. We're months in. Already reality feels feels weird, and then I've got this layer of of like chemical like whatever yeah uh, neuro emotion stuff. And, and do you think you're depressed at this stage, or no. are you just like, hey, maybe the docs know something I don't know? Like, I guess I'll take the Lexapro. Like, yeah, that was more like what it was. I was like, you know, yeah. this must be like I was stressed out for sure, and I guess I do know some people that seem to be a little calmer on sertraline or on something like it. So mm-hmm. I can understand, I guess where they're coming from, but it certainly didn't work for me. And then, and then it, it got the weirdest thing started. That's the, the thing that started to happen, happening to me that I didn't like was, um, I started getting these shocking sensation in my, my extremities. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah. and I understand that, like I've heard from a few people who are on these things that, that happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then when I weaned off, I still had that. I still had this thing and I was like, I don't know what this is, but this is happening. And then I'd go in to talk to them about it. They're like, well, then we should give you gabapentin. And I was like, oh, well, uh, and, you know, and <laughs> desperate, but didn't do it. <laughs> um, um, but I, I can say I know I have two friends who had a similar journey. One was just given on, on an SSRI on gabapentin um, because of the same kind of sensation. But I think for him, it wasn't his limbs. It was like other has hips or something. I don't know, but, um, but it's, it's crazy how quickly like the prescribing cascade begins, right? Because, um, I guess you, you don't consider yourself depressed. Like you just like, Hey, I just really need some help with my sleep. Mm-hmm. You start developing some neuropathy, mm-hmm. which was probably only going to be time limited for you. I mean, even if you'd had it emerged on the drug, you know, Hey James, let's just give it like, let's give it, give it a month mm-hmm. and let's just see kind of what your nervous system does. But mm-hmm. instead of that, the gabapentin, you know, and yeah. so it, it it's it's it could snowball, but it sounds like you sidestepped that yeah. one. Well done. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I started yeah. feeling like it, my natural inclination is to avoid drugs in general, so my natural inclination was never to take any of this stuff. But thought, okay, I'll overwrite that and give it a shot. Oh no, this isn't working for me, and so that lingered. Where it's like, mm, I still don't think this is the right path. But but I but I but I also didn't have a way through, and I didn't have any encouragement. I didn't have any coaching. I didn't have any knowledge and turning to google at the beginning of this was useless right because um the information was so general and uh you know and watered down and who knows who it's good for like i don't you know like i don't know if many people end up like this but i can say certainly after the years of going through it that you know when you take these problems to a professional um you know in my experience your cast is kind of a weirdo and well, that would be that would be strange. So we'll give you something oh, yeah, else. James, uh, you know, on top of his depression, he now has a psychosomatic illness. Yes, you know, exactly. He's, he's, he, we've got a hysterical man here who's manifesting <gasps> fake neurological symptoms. Exactly. Because he's in the cabin, you know, he's having relational problems, and he has a high stress job. You know, he's just yeah. After what forty years of none of it, like it doesn't, it didn't make any yeah. sense. It still doesn't quite make sense. There must be some underlying problem. Actually, it was just yesterday I was telling you, like, I went um, to see if I can get, like, this has cost me tens of thousands of dollars to try and work through in coaching and therapy and and, uh, supplements and glasses and whatever. Uh, And just yesterday, again, like, after all this trial and error and talking to people who've been through it and knowing what works and what doesn't now, 
still had the same damn it's exactly what you just said oh you it must be psychosomatic we don't really know yeah. you know and also we can't point you in a direction for help okay well, like yeah gee, yeah not very helpful no. but let, let's stay let, i want to stay on the chronology because right. i i, I want to get the details so they try and give you gabapentin um mm -hmm. were you kind of at this point in your journey towards being like hey i want to stop these meds um I was pretty d determined not to take them anymore, um, but I, I probably needed to taper. I certainly needed to taper, and I didn't. And so the problems got worse before they got better. Um, and that went on for, well, it, it, it was it was um, Christmas twenty twenty when I decided. And when you say. When you say taper, you mean like taper the Lexapro, I believe, the, right? At this point, it was just um, it was just trazodone that I was left with. Um, okay, because you tapered the Lexapro, you were left with the the sertraline neuro yeah. neuropathy. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, the sertraline. Yeah. And then I guess at that point, because you'd had that bad experience, you said probably time to get off the trazodone, mm -hmm. and you were thinking about coming off. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah, good. Yep. Um, and so I just quit, like cold turkey quit, um, without any. Actually, the guidance was that this is a small enough dose that you can probably just get, just quit cold turkey. Like 25 or a 50? Uh, 50, oh. yeah. 50, okay. But I'd been on it. What, what was the month and year that, that you cold turkeyed? It was December 2020. So it was a better part of a year that I was on it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so, so yeah, talk to us. What, what happened? Um, well, immediately. And yeah, sorry, the, other, yeah. the other thing I wanted to know is, so, so it was the... It was the sertraline that you were on that, that gave you neuropathy. And, and how long, yeah. what was the duration you were on that for? Well, that was only, well, it was a couple months. A couple months. Yeah. And how long between stopping the sertraline and stopping the trazodone? Oh, uh, many months. Because cause the symptoms were so bad at times that I would go on the sertraline to see if I could get rid of them. But it was like, but I would like stop and start, which is like the worst thing you can do, right? Because like, I was just messing around with the... Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you, when you say the symptoms were so bad, was that like the neuropathic pain that you were having that kind of the, the jolting and electricity? Yeah. And, and the feeling that this sense of unease, which was what I was trying to get rid of in the first place. Um, and some of that was due to circumstances. Some of that was due to probably the, the sertraline. Uh, and wow. so after a couple of months, that's, yeah. and you know, I've heard these stories before though, okay. you know, of well. people who become dependent on the medication after a couple of months and then they do have withdrawal reactions. And, the, and this is going to be interesting with your story because you, you're going to tell me what happened after the trazodone and, and probably why it's hard to tease out how much of this is sertraline and how much of this is trazodone or whether it's like a one, two punch totally. situation. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, when I got off the trazodone, it was interesting because immediately like that, I was driving across Ontario to, uh, to stay with my folks who were lived in a, a city 30 hours away. And, uh, and as I was, I was, I was driving, I was determined to sort of like leave this shit behind. And, uh, and as I was driving, lights started to get really bright. Like I, I can remember the, this, this incident very clearly. And I was like, whew, this is, this is hellish, but wow. anyway, I'm just going to like try to, you know, relax and just remember this is probably going to be a few weeks and, and then it'll go away. And how many days after the cold turkey stoppage was, we, did you start having the visual changes? Oh, that was within hours. That was within like, like that was, that was, I missed one dose and then I started to like, my body was like, you need this thing. Oh my God. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, for me, like I, I, I don't, I, I know this isn't necessarily common, but it certainly, it certainly was the case for me because I can remember the incident very clearly. Um, mm -hmm. and then the, and then, yeah, the following day, um, couldn't, couldn't sleep without it. Uh, couldn't see very well. Uh, uh, fine patterns started to, uh, become, uh, they looked like kind of like, like, um, um, just a wash. Like, like I couldn't look at a TV without getting nauseous. Uh, um, I couldn't look at leaves or gravel, those kinds of fine patterns. And so it just, I just, I was just repelled. I was just repelled by everything. Is, is this what, do, do people call this visual snow or yep. do, is there another term for it? So, okay, so, so it's visual snow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they call it, but it depends on, <laughs> they call it visual snow. They'll call it hallucinogen persisting perception disorder. Even if it's a, even if it's a, um, an SSRI often, 
Um, I did try after that, did try hallucinogens because I was like, okay, well, I got to do something to reset my brain. And <laughs> the articles that were coming out was like, try ketamine, try mushrooms, try LSD. So, um, so that also happened um, later. <laughs> like I was desperate, man. This was, it got off, it, like it got bad. And, uh, and I, I've got people putting like, uh, you know, frog, frog poison on them and things like that. You know, there's, I can't remember what it's called, but I think you like poke like some holes in your skin and you kind of like rub a frog on it. But that's also like one of these like ayahuasca style, like, you know, hallucinogenic experiences that has these resetting properties, you know, people say, but yeah, I, I get the desperateness and you're not alone in there. Well, and all I had was Google at that point, Google and deep isolation and, you know, a, a, a bed, you know, at my parents' place for a while. And, uh, and that, so, so 2021 was when this got inflamed and uh, like, um, for most of 2021, I was not a person that I know. Like, like, did you go, did you quit your job or go on leave? Like, how did you, like, you, I mean, you obviously had responsibilities. Like what, what happened to those? I, I did my, I still had my wits. I could still focus enough for like hours at a time to be able to do what I needed to do. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I managed to muddle through somehow. Everybody was pretty like concern there was like this guy is not the guy we know uh yeah. like do we trust him with responsibility anymore you know that was a hard yeah. thing because from most of my life my whole life you know i think a good sense of my identity came from being a competent person uh mm -hmm. and when this happened i was like like is this is it a some underlying thing like is there something deeply wrong with me um and yeah if people are telling me that yeah. i should be concerned maybe i should be you know so so, so flush it out. So, so far you've talked about, you'd have these shooting pains, yeah. uh, real hypersensitivity to light. Also some like perceptual disturbances that make it difficult to look at things. What else was in your constellation of symptoms that kind of burst onto the scene yeah. when the trazodone ended? Um, tinnitus in a bad way, very immediately. Um, mm -hmm. and it's still there most of the time. Um, the, the visual thing, it's hard to even describe because it wasn't solely visual. It was embodied somehow. Like my system would like, it would almost feel like fear, but I wasn't afraid of any of somatic like anxiety or something where everything would just startle me constantly. Um, and I just, that, 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 that's really common, you know, cause that, that yeah. usually when I'm dealing with folks who have protracted withdrawal from maybe an antidepressant one of the main things they describe is that just that, you know, stuck in the terror state. Yes. You know, like I feel like I've drunk like 10 cups of coffee. I'm constantly wise. Yeah. There's never a single moment where I can relax. I'm just always yeah. like on edge. And then they boil over into panic. They're afraid of everything, yep. you know, like they're afraid of their phone ringing. It's yeah. just like a massive fear state. Yeah. And so that does really sound like a protracted, like the, that's probably the most common protracted withdrawal symptom that I hear from antidepressant okay. injuries. Well, and that lasted, that went on and on. And because then you start like, <laughs> you start trying to make sense of it and nobody's telling you that it's related to any of this. So in fact, they're more likely to tell you that you have some other underlying neuropsychiatric thing that just you didn't know about before, which is so sad and so hard to hear when you're feeling like this, you know? Oh my God, you're right. Cause it's, it's compounding something. It's like, you already have a compromised nervous system that's throwing you into a fear state on top of that. No one knows what it is. And, um, mm -hmm. and you're on your own and every doctor you go to, is just like, I don't know what to do with, do with this. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this, this, this double hit. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I can't imagine how terrifying that was at that time where I guess you hadn't figured out what was happening to you yet. And you're really in the unknown. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, yeah. and the terror was like that, that those more, particularly in the morning, cortisol spikes in the morning, you wake up, but instead of having a natural kind of like, you know, little jolt, you're up, you're awake. It's like this, like the plane's going down, something's on fire. You know, it feels like yeah. something is, something terrible is happening or is about to happen. And then it spirals maybe until you exhaust yourself and then, you know, you can kind of maybe relax for a few minutes out of desperation and then jolt awake again and go like, you know, it's just your, your system's completely messed up. And, uh, 
Um, yeah, like, so that spiral that just went on and on and on until I, I kind of had to normalize it and uh, find people who were experiencing similar things so that I realized, oh, I'm in fact not crazy. This is in fact fairly mm-hmm. common. It is not, uh, it's not, it's not well recorded. It's not well studied. Um, but as you say, you know, you hear, you know, enough about that. You hear enough about this anecdotally that you start to wonder, well, why isn't this being studied? And why don't people share this? Well, first of all, people don't want to share this publicly because it, I mean, it sounds nuts, right? It does sound nuts. Um, so, yeah. And, and there's also like, I think it's, I don't know if I'd say willful ignorance, but mm. I, a part of me can't escape just the thought that if the mainstream medical uh, groups had to acknowledge that some people were experiencing, you know, these protracted withdrawal things that were completely ruining their life, mm-hmm. it would just call into question like the whole way we practice, um, at least in the US, antidepressants are first line treatments over here. I, I don't recall what the Canadian guidelines say, mm. but the way you were treated, it almost sounded like it was a first line treatment because it's not like they shipped you off for some kind of psychotherapy. They just said, hey, you know, go for it, you know. Mm. Um, and so it's really inconvenient, I think, for a lot of people to to hear this stuff yeah. because it would it would so change the way that people have been doing things. Yeah, yeah, it threatens a whole yeah. model of care. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so how... how, how well, I guess this is why what, what I'd l- love to get your perspective on as someone who has prominent visual symptoms. Mm-hmm. What else have you heard out there from other sufferers of protracted withdrawal who have the visual symptoms? Because that's really something quite unique about your case. I was wondering if you could tell me like the other stories that you heard of similar sufferers with, with that yeah, side effect. Yeah, sure. Actually, yeah. it was, um, I found a dude um, in Europe who had exactly sort of the same symptom set. And I was like, wow, this is awfully coincidental. What happened to you? And very similar story. He's fine now, but he had really, really bad visual snow for a while. Um, Like, and so to clarify with the snow aspect, if I look up, if I look out into the world like this, I look up into a sky without any uh, glasses on, I do see static as well. I can now see patterns and watch screens and TVs and it's all fine. Um, but, uh, but the static remains and the photosensitivity remains, uh, LEDs, traffic lights, uh, headlights, oh my God. they, each of these things look like a sun. Like it's, it's so it's, it's, it's the same intensity as, as looking at the sun. And it, so it's torture. Can you drive? I can drive. To- I mean, I, I can see yeah. every, what I'd like to say about this is that I can see everything, but it just hurts. It just, it's just deeply uncomfortable all the time. Um, so these help me, uh, a a lot. Um, but for the first while, every time an led was even in my visual field or traffic light or headlight, like I'd had to, I would either like stare at it as you do, (laughs) because you're like, what's, what the hell is this effect? Or I'd have to like avert my eyes and look at the sky and then I'd see static or whatever. So it's just like, it's just, there's no way out because you're just always trying to like avoid these, these perceptual things. Anyway, so he, so he managed to find his way out and rebalance his nervous system uh, and ended up on a on a bunch of group calls with people who had similar uh, similar uh, similar uh, symptoms, and I was like, okay, so this is not like a like I'm unusual, but I'm not like alone. Um, mm-hmm. And then I went onto the forum survivingantidepressants.org, and <laughs> holy shit, lots of people have visual <laughs> symptoms. Like, and oh, and so as I was typing this out, I was like, is this unusual? Am I crazy? Like, what's this thing? And they're like, unfortunately, no, we've heard of people who have these things. It's not, obviously not everybody, but some people end up in that, in that state. It's like having tinnitus in your vision. Right. Um, so, uh, so I went to them for a lot of, uh, coaching and grounding and just, you know, uh, and it, it helped like, like immensely I suddenly and I would reach out at random points of the day when the terror would hit and the visuals were awful and I'd be like you know whatever I guess I'm tired because this is how I'm feeling now just tell me again I'm going to get through this you know and having somebody who was just like yes I'm here with you I've experienced this just get to the other side um was just like so helpful to get started at least so yeah wow and so, so how many how many months are we since you uh, had your 
stopped your trazodone now? Over years now. Uh, so, so, uh, so we're, uh, sorry, that was, that was December, 2020. Uh, so, so we're, we're going on three years now. Okay. And so you mentioned that, yeah, I, I, maybe you could just share the trajectory of your symptoms now. Like, yeah. do you still have that internal, like revved up feeling all the time? Like how, how have things sort of progressed over the last three years? Maybe you could walk us through the different kind of symptoms you are having and, and where they are now. Yeah, sure. Um, so at the present time, um, I do have a little bit, I'm a little bit more revved up than I was prior to this whole thing. But, um, but it's sort of manageable. Um, my mornings can be a little, you know, it'll be a little surprising depending on what I have going on. And if I have like anticipatory sort of fear or something, but, uh, but I know that it's not, it's not a, I don't take it personally, you know, it just sort of comes mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, well get on with life. Um, um, I have, um, when I'm tired, when I'm tired, these symptoms are worse. So, uh, if at certain points of the day, you know, I'm, I'm busy, uh, or I'm anticipating something, my, my, uh, neuropathy will come back. Uh, the tinnitus will get worse. The visuals are always the same, but whether or not I react to them is another, is another matter. Um, and those are the, those are largely the symptoms. I don't have the raging sort of like underlying sort of unease or fear or whatever. Perception of space also went off for a while. I don't know what the hell that was about, but it was sort of like, where am I? What is this place? Kind of a feeling, no, knowing where I am, like cognitively, but yeah. somatically my body would go like, mm, what? Do you, do you ever get like a day where things go away or maybe an hour where things go away? Like these little windows where you're like, oh my God, like my brain, at least for this brief moment, was able to regulate itself into like a normal functional yeah. pattern. Um, yeah. Uh, finally, uh, I went to Switzerland and uh, had a whole lot of encouragement from old friends and a doctor there. Um, and, uh, and that... Uh, I started experiencing these windows of of, uh, of calm, and then uh, tried to find more of them or relax into <laughs> uh, into uh, receiving more of them. And uh, and now, I mean, aside from the vision tinnitus, I can have like multi-hour windows of normal and calm. Um, it's still a little distorted, but it's pretty good. You know, like it's eighty percent of where I was. And with the sunglasses on, like, is that enough to keep vision not painful for you? Like, or is it still like pretty, like decently uncomfortable and unusual? Um, it's, uh, it's always a little bit uncomfortable because there's always just this little longing <laughs> underneath that's like, cause, yeah. cause even with the sunglasses, things still look a little weird. So it's like, okay, they still look weird. Um, I'm trying to learn to accept it because, I mean, I'm thankful that I can see, but, you know, but but having to accept that seeing will always be uncomfortable is a weird mind trick, right? Uh, like, if that's the way forward, it's like I have to train myself that uncomfortable is okay, and that's just a really hard thing to learn. <laughs> um, so, so that's mm-hmm. a part that really still bothers me, and I'm, I keep I'm doing a lot of research. I, I happen to be a researcher. So I threw myself into like the depths of neuropsychiatric research during this whole time and, uh, and advocated very strongly for myself. And I don't claim to be, you know, I don't claim to be a doctor or an authority in the standard sense, of course, but I sure did learn a lot about how to manage this stuff, you know, uh, had to on my own. And one of the things I stumbled across recently was some promising, you know, treatments that are still unusual RTMS treatments for visual snow. Uh, that's, um, as you know, repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation. Um, I did that last year as well, and it, or this year, earlier this year, and it made a huge difference in terms of my ability to just sort of reset, focus, uh, mm-hmm. get my attention back, my willpower, because I was mostly bedridden for a very long time, and that's not like me, not like me at all. Uh, I ended up on benzos for a while, uh, that was all focused and then I had to withdraw off those two. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you as well is how did, how did this experience change how you saw the medical profession <laughs> and doctors? 
Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a cliche now, I guess, eh? But boy, hmm. I really wanted to trust medical professionals when I started this journey. You know, I really wanted to. I said, James, you're not a doctor. Just like, let them tell you what to do. And sadly, and I, I like, I, I hesitate to say this because I know people need to trust their medical professionals. But sadly, after coming through this and still having to explain and re-explain this to medical professionals in now a fairly capable way, I'd say, um, uh, you know, I, I can't I can't let my trust myself trust medical professionals anymore. I have the hardest time letting myself trust medical professionals now. And mm -hmm. uh, and I don't you know, I don't want to be that person, but I've become that person. And uh, and it's not that I don't trust any medical professionals, you know, but, you know, I um, I have my, my 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 spidey senses are up now. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, I understand that this is sort of like what you have to say to get through the appointment. But ultimately, this is going to this is either going to cost me or give me nothing. And um, yeah, so. And it's it's complicated, right? Because, you know, my, my daughter was recently hurt. She, mm -hmm. she fell out of a window and had a, a traumatic brain injury, oh, actually. God, I'm sorry. And so, yeah, yeah, we, we were, um, I mean, we were in the emergency room, they scanned her, you know, we, they looked after her fractures, we, we took an air flight to the hospital, you know, we were seen by, wow. you know, um, different neurologists and trauma surgeons and eye, eye doctors and all that kind of crazy stuff. Wow. And they did an amazing job with her, okay. you know, we stayed in the hospital and it was just like, and, and this is after I'm already on this journey and I'm already pretty distrustful huh. of things. And it really kind of highlighted to me, I mean, there's some areas of medicine mm. when everything kind of lines up and it's like, more of that kind of acute stuff, I think, you know, mm -hmm. fractures, things like that, that all of that stuff seems to be pretty good for the most part, pretty good yeah. and easy to measure. But when you get into like the chronic disease management yeah. space, when you start talking about, I guess, you know, antidepressants, even statins for me, I'm, I'm, uh -huh. I'll probably never take one yeah. um, just based on the, the things I've read and the people I've, I've spoken to, you start to kind of wonder, um, about that because I know that's really big business and, and the outcomes there, it's, they're really a lot harder to measure, um, mm -hmm. as well. And so I think there's, there's, there's areas in medicine now, which I'm very suspicious of and, and some areas where I'm just like, nah, you guys just go for it. it just, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Like if it's I had to go for stitches or I was like, you know, yeah. I had a limb that need to be reset or something like, yeah, like, you know, I would, I would, I would certainly go in there without any hesitation but um in in these fields that feel feel like contemporary witchcraft <laughs> if i could say so um i'm just a lot more skeptical and as you say like neuro psycho neuro immunological things are like i don't know man there's we don't know we don't know what we're talking about as human beings in that in that domain often i think now which is um which is scary but yeah yeah and then, and then, and then you have the experience where you were kind of I mean, it, it, it does sound like almost like um, there was a, a wee bit of pressuring there. Hey, just take this medication. It's all good. Like, where else is this happening? Is this going to happen with my cholesterol or my blood <laughs> yeah, pressure? Right. Or if I'm having diabetes, is it just going to be someone who's just like, hey, no problems. Just go for it. You know, because that's mm -hmm. um, that's common. You know, the, yeah. uh, prob probably in Canada as well. I know oh, in yeah. the U.S., like it, you, you go into your family medicine appointments and it's, it's just in and out really. Huge and they're department. just like, oh, I'll just take this. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my, yeah. my, my, uh, older folks in my family, they've all gone through that, that gone down that path as well. And, um, and I was, you know, I've been reading a lot about this stuff. Uh, it was the most recent book brain energy on metabolic disorder, the, the relationship between metabolic disorders and, sure. and, uh, and, uh, neurological and psychiatric sort of issues. And, and it had me thinking that like, boy, if we, I don't know, if we really uh, give ourselves, I don't know, <laughs> many decades and a lot of change and uh, we could, we could handle things a lot better for like people with, you know, with a whole host of different kinds of, of, of difficulties that are uh, commonly, um, you know, overly medicated now, I guess. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, and you know, I get probably you know, not on this channel, but in general, when I'm talking to people that don't watch my content, I start talking about how like, um, 
the medicalization of depression and just saying, you know, you have a medical condition, how dangerous that is. People go, you know, it it helps reduce stigma. Mm -hmm. And in my perspective, I'm like, uh, it kind of helps justify, you know, the, the easy doling out of medications, you know, when you kind of say it like that. And so I, I'm always like, even the way people are taught to think about their problems, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Pathologize them, right? Yeah. 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 And that's not to say that there's not people out there that that were born into this world with a depressive personality or had some kind of abnormality. But honestly, like the more I do this work and the more I talk to people, um, and I spent a lot of time in emergency room. I've spent years after training, mm-hmm. years and years in emergency rooms talking to people after suicide attempts. Mm-hmm. And so I often ask them, you know, what's going on in, in their life? Invariably, there is always some kind of either trauma that's going Mm -hmm. on or a situation they can't escape or this Mm -hmm. massive buildup of anxiety which seems inescapable that has just plunged them into depression Mm -hmm. a handful of times i've seen people and they just go it came out of nowhere i don't know what's going on and Mm -hmm. they're not on like all these drugs or using like caffeine and nicotine and in kind of crazy amounts they're out there but that's like that's like less than five percent of the people i mean the rest of them are just burnt out overworked, yeah, right. relational problems like trauma and yeah and i think we just gloss over that completely and we just say oh you have a medical condition it's a serious problem and and don't worry we have this treatment um yeah and it's so dangerous yeah i had i have i had um several friends uh like as i, as I mentioned uh like and, and these were surprising to me they shouldn't be i guess but i you know i sat with one um a couple of weeks ago and like like almost exactly the same sequence like the same domino effect and as you say like it was a period of intense stress insomnia you know big life changes and lack of social support probably um and uh, and also a fear of i think reaching out for support um and uh and so <sighs> You know, and, and I have this impulse now to do as, as as you can do as a real expert, right? But to say like, don't do this. Here are some other alternatives. I'll call you a couple times a week, you know, uh, and and uh, you know, take a holiday uh, or I don't know, get into a good new project or whatever. But uh, you know, I understand, of course, during the pandemic, at least as it was for me, it, it was awfully hard to pivot like that or get the support. Um, but uh, now, you know, when I when I see this happening. Or I, I, man, I heard it from another friend uh, a couple of days ago and like a uh, new diagnosis, new prescription. I was like, and I, my heart sank again. I was like, are you sure? Like, do you really need to go down this route? This could be like years of your life, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it, um, it saddens me. But and what, yeah. what, like what you described there, like wanting to tell her, Hey, let me give you a call. I'll, I'll check in with you. Mm-hmm listen what's going on with you it sounds like it's really anchored and things going on in your life let's give it a little bit of time Mm -hmm. you know medications that could potentially be dangerous Mm -hmm. you know you never know if you're going to get side effects they might be hard to stop that sounds like the kind of care that you wished that you would have been able to receive when you went in the first time someone to actually not probably have you out in 25 minutes but really get a sense of what's going on and Mm -hmm. our system's not set up to give that care and i think intuitively Mm -hmm. for most people i think i'm going to drop the brainwashing word if they they weren't brainwashed so hard by what constantly seems like this antidepressant like take antidepressant campaign and it's Mm -hmm. it's kind of masked sometimes with we got to fight the stigma and this and that and you know post your pill on instagram and all of these different things that are going on. I mean, they don't really seem like nasty or evil as one-offs, but when you look at the totality of them coming together, it, I think it, I think it pushes, it pressures us out of the intuition that a lot of us have that, Hey, just genuine human connection, support, talking and time mm-hmm. might be the best thing for someone who's, who was in your situation or was in the situation of, of a friend. I think we get mm-hmm. kind of convinced out of something that really, feels natural to, to most people actually originally. Yeah. And I, like, I've thought about that a lot. Um, I wondered why, like, why is it to me, the question that comes up is why is it that we need to be, that we should rather be proud of a, 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 a diagnosis and, you know, taking a pill rather than confronting 
the fear of, of discomfort that comes with being with someone going through a difficult time. It seems like we have a harder time actually sitting with that discomfort over a long time. You know, that's harder than the discomfort of confessing that I'm abnormal somehow, uh, you know, pathologically. Um, and I don't, and I know that those things are not totally mutually exclusive. Sometimes they overlap, but again, in the mm -hmm. case of these people that I've, I've known for a while, um, I, like, I think, I think certainly for me and probably in their case, they need more people, more support, more time, more love, more care, whatever. And it might take a while and that's hard, <laughs> but that's what they need. That's what I needed, you know? So, yeah, I mean, people, they, they, they do need, for want of a better term, a little bit of the tough love because, mm. you know, there, there is something about being depressed or having a lot of anxiety that, mm -hmm that really does make you feel like a failure sometimes, like you're inadequate, like you don't have your shit together. Yeah. And so people often shame themselves when they feel sad. And, you know, then like a wolf in sheep's clothing comes along, which is the idea of, hey, don't worry, James, you have a chemical imbalance or whatever they want to say. You yeah. know, you have, a, you have a medical condition, which is in some ways they say, you know, this is great. This is destigmatizing. They're not going to help. They're not going to hate themselves because... Mm -hmm you know, wow, we're saying this is a medical condition and giving that person all of the, it's not benefits, but it's, it's almost like the leeway that, that we give to people in society who are having medical conditions. And it's, and it's often, I mean, it's, it's warranted. Really. Yeah. That's just what it is. Yeah. And so it comes in as if it's this good thing, but I think about it deeply as well, because yeah, yeah on the one hand, maybe you're allaying some of their self-hatred, but if you actually work with them, to fix those problems and they go away. And what, what is the opportunity cost of starting to think, Oh my God, I'm, I'm depressed. And now I need this pill when you might have like, you may genuinely have problems maintaining healthy relationships, mm -hmm. or you may genuinely have problems like figuring out what, what your career path path is and, and different things. You may have genuine problems with your use of caffeine or other drugs or stimulants. Like mm -hmm. every time you kind of ignore those, those other things, because you have a medical illness, it's like you're not growing psychologically to address them. And there's an opportunity cost in that. And mm -hmm. no one talks about it. And it's just like, to me, that that's, that's another one of the really big disasters with the mm -hmm. antidepressants, it's just the opportunity cost, that, hmm. that that people have lost in kind of developing psychologically and and working through certain things. Yeah, yeah. And well, I can relate to that certainly because once I started to kind of get enough of myself back, I could start to kind of work through some patterns that you know weren't working for me in my life. A lot, a lot of stuff was working too, and and I could kind of lean into that and go like, well, things are fine because all this is working. But I was I was neglecting these deeply important things. Uh, from time to time that I, I needed to spend more time working on. And I, had, had I not tried to put a pill in me to fix it, uh, I would have started to work on those things more deliberately and over a longer period of time. So I'm finally there, but like it took, I had to go through more suffering to get to that point, you know, where we could have yeah. just started there in the first place. So I know. And it's so normal. You again, doing this for a while and also having my own, um, different things that I've gone through in my life with like, you know, mental health things. And it, it, you'll, you'll find it crazy, but I'm a psychiatrist, but probably my, the biggest thing I struggled with growing up was connecting with other people. Uh, you know, that was like a lifelong journey for me, you know, learning how to empathize and things like that. And I think I'm much better at it now, but <laughs> you could imagine how that could play out in someone's life, right? <laughs> if you have a problem with empathy, it's, it's playing out with your coworkers. It's playing out yep. with your relationships. It's playing out with your family. Yeah. It's playing out with your friends. And so you have these ripple effects. And mm -hmm. what I've learned doing this is like, everyone has a weakness, everyone has a blind spot. And, 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 I, and I don't think mm -hmm. there should be any shame in that or any need to kind of, you know, get behind this, this shield of, I have a medical illness because mm -hmm. every, everyone out there, especially if they live long enough is they're, they're all going it, to, it's going to come out. It's just inevitable. That's just, that's just, that's like a hundred percent true. Absolutely. It's going to come out at some this. point, something will happen and it's yeah. going to be hard. Like, and same, I mean, in some ways, you know, like I'm a professor, I do research on my own. I, you know, uh, midlife, it's like what, you know, uh, life has become smaller. My world's become smaller in some ways. And, uh, and I needed to figure out how to manage that transition and, um, and, you know, find more meaningful, longer lasting friendships and so on. And that's still a journey I'm going to be on for a while, but, um, 
but that that was the task that is that that was the task then it is the task now so not not dissimilar mm -hmm. from yours i think and and oh, yeah. the pill yeah. was yeah. never going to fix that the pill was never going to fix that yeah <laughs> And I know it's it's the thing, you know, I'm still working on my relationship with my wife. I'm still reading books about relationships and, mm. uh, you know, connection and things like that. It's just become something so mm. enjoyable and, and, and uh, yeah, over time. And so, mm. but yeah, um, you know, James, we've kind of covered, we've covered a lot and mm -hmm. I think we could probably uh, bring, bring it to a close pretty soon, mm -hmm. but w w did, was, did you have any other questions or were there any other topics that you wanted to explore? Well, I mean, for me, the, the way out, uh, and I don't want to give anybody a guidebook and I don't know how much you would like me to share on that front, mm -hmm. but, um, um, but I found a very particular set of things, uh, really helpful. So I want to hear yeah, let's let's hear him. Okay, so um so as as far as you know sleep is concerned now I tried a bunch of supplements at many different points in this process but uh I found um and and I'd written them off as helpful at one point uh and then revisited it uh with some guidance from these folks in, in Switzerland and uh and it made a massive difference for me. So um so one thing was RTMS that helped uh, get me kind of reset and able enough to schedule things and move my body and show up and travel and so on. Um, another was um, um, calming agents, GABAergic uh, supplements. So for me, that was uh, magnesium and its cofactors, B63, taurine um, in relatively high doses, um, uh, magnolia bark for sleep if I can't sleep, um, also a mm -hmm. GABAergic um, uh, supplement. Um, and then I started playing with, um, with, uh, things that would help me focus a little bit. And at some points I reacted poorly, but now I'm reacting better to them. One includes lion's, lion's mane, um, <clears throat> uh, as a, mm -hmm. as a way of kind of just getting me focused without as much caffeine. Um, mm -hmm. and all of those, all of those things, uh, have this effect of, of, uh, reducing, uh, neurotoxicity, hyperexcitability that's come as a result of this. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to be on all of these things forever, but um, but for the meantime, they have they have helped so profoundly. I can't even. <laughs> it was like night and day when I started, you know, um, uh, making sure that I did this on a routine basis. And and some folks who uh, experienced similar things to me have also tried it and found relief to my uh, surprise and. Um, and uh, to my delight, like that so. the supplement regimen that you just mentioned that they tried those ones and they're like, wow, like I actually feel yeah. noticeably better. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so I, I don't, you know, I, like I say, I don't want to pretend that I have the answer for everybody, but like, my God, if you're trying to decide between <laughs> Trazodone or SSRI and what I just gave you, I'm going to promise you that that's going to be a better bet to start off with. So, yeah. yeah. Well, great. Um, Awesome. Well, th well, thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for letting me. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop our recording now. Okay. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to Wit During Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from doctors Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at witduringpsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.